As you're turning to 2 Timothy chapter 4, I want to tell you a little story. There was a man who was in a, a church service conducted by Dr. J. Wilbur Chapman. And a man rose up in that meeting and he gave this testimony. He said, I rode in to the Pennsylvania Depot as a tramp. And for a year, I begged people for money. One day, he said, I reached out and I touched the shoulder of a man. And I said, could you please spare me a dime? And the man turned around and looked at him. And immediately, he said, I recognized the man. And I said, father, my father, do you recognize me? And his father responded and said, my son... I love you and you can have it all. And the man who was testifying about that moment said in that meeting, can you imagine that I was begging my father for a dime when for 18 years he was seeking for me and he wanted to give me everything that he had. Can I tell you that that little story is a reflection of the heart of God for you today? That God is for you. He's not against you. And and sometimes we even come so far as as to the church house. And the posture of our heart is, oh, if if I could just have a dime. If I could just get just a little blessing. If if I could just get a little peace from the anxiety that I feel. if, If I could just get a little solace from the storm. And we come in and I want you to know that God recognizes you. The moment you stepped foot in this house, He saw you. And He said, my son... My daughter, it's all yours. Every bit of it, it's for you. And I want to just encourage you today to receive the blessings and the benefits that God has for you. I want you to say this with me. Every need supplied. That's the title of the message today. And it's what I believe God wants us to wrap our faith around. This idea that we serve a God in heaven who can supply Every one of our needs. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 9 and verse 8. The Bible tells us that God will supply our every need. Listen to this verse. It says, and God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Do you see that? All things at all times, having all that you need. God wants to give you everything that you need. But he's not just a faithful God. He's a good God. And he doesn't just want to give you what you need. The Bible tells us he wants to supply for our wants as well. The 23rd Psalm, many of you could quote it. It says in the first three verses, The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. Think about that. He's my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his namesake. God is a God who wants to meet every need, but he also wants to supply for our desires as well. Our needs, our wants, and even our desires. There's things in your heart that... That you, you just long for. You want. They're not, 
they're not good or bad. Maybe they're just, they're, they're amoral. It, it, it's just something that you've had a desire for. And you might think, well, that doesn't matter to God. But it does matter to God. And the Bible says this in Psalm 37, verse 4. Take delight in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. See, God is not a God who's trying to keep things from you. God is not saying, you know, surrender your life to me and, and, and your whole life will just be a, a sacrifice of never doing the things you want to do, only doing the things that I want you to do. You're just going to be a puppet and I'm going to be the puppet master. That's not the deal. The deal is God says, I want to be first. I want to be the priority. I want you to seek first my kingdom and my righteousness. And then all these other things, I can add those things into your life. All these other things, I'm going to meet your needs. I'm going to meet your wants. I'm even going to give you the desires of your heart if you seek first my kingdom. See, God can say that confidently because if we seek first his kingdom, then all of our desires will line up with his will for our lives. See, before you knew God, you wanted all kinds of stuff you didn't need to be getting into, <laughs> right? There was stuff you were going after. There were things you wanted. You know, you, you weren't handling your finances right. You were splurging on things you shouldn't be spending money on. And, and, and you had all your priorities out of whack. But if you seek first the kingdom of God, if you delight yourself in the Lord, then your motives are pure. Your heart is pure. And, and then God, God can say, you know, I don't want to hold things back from you. I want to bless you. I want to give you the things that you want in life, not just the things that you need. I want to satisfy your desires. He wants that for you just as much as any parent in this room wants that for your kids. He wants that for you. If you'll delight yourself in the Lord, not only does God want to meet your needs and your wants and your desires, but the Bible tells us that he supplies in all things. Romans 8.28, I love this verse. Many of you could quote this one too. Romans 8.28 says, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love Him, who have been called according to His purpose. <clears throat> so this morning, God is supplying our needs in all things. That means whatever you're facing, whatever, even the bad things, God can supply our needs in all things. He can work in your circumstances today, and, and He wants to do that, to be faithful. A lot of times we look at the faithfulness of God, and we connect it to physical or financial or mental or emotional comfort. And so long as I'm comfortable, as long as I'm happy, as long as there's money in the bank, then God is good. But as soon as the money is tight, as soon as there's tension in our home, as soon as things are not going the way that I wanted them to go, all of a sudden we feel like God is distant, God is far, God is not faithful. But the Bible promises this, that God can work through all of it. How many of you know He's Lord over even the storms that you face? He's in control. And so the Bible says, in all things, God works for your good. He's working for your good today. You might have gotten a negative report this week. You might have heard some terrible news this week. And you would look at that and in the flesh, our natural reaction is to say, where is God? Where is God when catastrophe happens? Where is God when, when cancer strikes? Where is God when we get the bad news? The Bible promises us that God in all things works for our good. We don't have time to go back and visit the story, but many of you are familiar with the story of Joseph, who as a young man had a dream from God. He had a purpose and a destiny for his life. 
But then his brothers, out of jealousy, sold him as a slave. And he was shipped off to, to Egypt. And then he became a prisoner. And, and his life went spiraling downward farther and farther and farther. And through all of that, he may have asked the question that many of us ask. Where is God? But that wasn't the end of the story. And can I just remind you that you haven't seen the end of yours yet either. There was a moment in his life where he looked back over all of it, the good, the bad, and the ugly. And here was the statement that he made. He said, what the enemy meant for evil, God meant for good, for the saving of many. God used the negative situation. God used the prison. God used the pit. God used the, the being sold and abandoned by my family. He used all that. Did he will it? Did he intend it? Does God ever intend harm in your life? No, but he's Lord over all of it. So even when the enemy comes against you, the Bible says God can use all things to work together for your good. That's good news, isn't it? Amen. I want to tell you this morning, as we look in 2 Timothy chapter 4, I want to tell you what we're looking at. This is a letter written by the Apostle Paul, the greatest Christian bar none outside of Jesus himself, the greatest Christian to ever walk the face of the earth. Paul the Apostle gave us over half the New Testament writings. So as you read in your Bible, everything from Matthew to Revelation, over half of the books were written by the Apostle Paul. Paul faced persecution. He knew what it was. He said to be abased and to abound. He knew what it was to be well fed and to go hungry. He knew what it was to have nice clothes and to be naked. He experienced a lot of things. And at the end of his life, he found himself once again incarcerated for preaching the gospel. He was in prison when he wrote this letter to his young protege, Timothy. And the reason that this letter is especially significant is that this letter is the last words that we have recorded of the Apostle Paul. This would be the last correspondence that we ever hear from him. So we have the opportunity to see at the end of his life what was on his heart, what was on his mind. And because he knew that his days were numbered and he was writing to his dear son in the faith, 2 Timothy is the most personal of all the letters from the Apostle Paul. This is a personal letter. He kind of peels back the, the, the ministry facade that sometimes we only see. And he lets us see what's really going on in his heart and in his life as he writes an honest, heartfelt letter to Timothy. So as we look at this letter that he wrote, I want you to see a few things that jump out of the text at me. There are personal needs in Paul's life that he's experiencing as he writes to Timothy. And I believe the needs that Paul has in his life are the same needs that you and I have in our lives. Some of the very things that some of you came to the altar for to pray about this morning are needs that Paul experienced in his own heart and in his own life. And so I want to challenge you as we look at these needs and see God's faithfulness to meet and provide for Paul I want you to believe that God can meet and provide for you as well. Because here's the good news. If you need good news today, it's found in Philippians chapter 4, verse 19. You might want to write that verse down. Here's the good news today. Here's what it says. And my God will meet all of your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. 
He's going to meet all of your needs. Come on, one more time. Say, every need supplied. Let's look at the text here together. 2 Timothy chapter 4, beginning in verse 9. And my Bible has a subheading that says personal remarks. And that's exactly what these are. These are personal remarks <coughs> from the Apostle Paul. And here's what he says in verse 9. Do your best to come to me quickly. For Demas, because he loved this world, has deserted me and has gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia and Titus to Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you. Because he is helpful to me in my ministry. I sent Tychicus to Ephesus. The first need that I want to talk to you about in the life of the Apostle Paul is an emotional need. It's an emotional need. Here's Paul sitting in a damp, dark prison and he's lonely. He's all alone. He sent his ministry partners out to do a work. He sent them uh, to go and to continue to do the work of the ministry. Uh, Demas, who was one of his great friends, he said, has forsaken me. And you can hear the urgency in Paul's voice when he says, do your best to come quickly. And then down in verse 21 later, he'll reiterate that desire when he says, do your best to get here before winter. This is just a regular skin and flesh and bone man like you and me. A lot of times we look at these men and women in the Bible with rose-colored glasses and and we look at their, their faith and the exploits that they've done and we forget that these were just real people that felt needs just like you and I feel them. I mean, you remember the story in the Old Testament of Elijah? We studied it back in August for those of you that were here for that series. But in 1 Kings chapter 18, Elijah was calling down fire from heaven and he was confronting 850 prophets of Baal. And yet James records that Elijah was a man just like us. But in 1 Kings 19, we see the Bible says in verse 3 that Elijah was afraid and he feared and he ran for his life. And it's just a picture of the reality that even the most godly, powerful men of God that you can imagine still deal with emotional needs, still deal with insecurity, still they deal with loneliness. Elijah was isolated. He was lonely. And the enemy began to use that as a tool against him. And he reached out and he called out to God. Paul was isolated he was lonely he was in a prison and he reached out and he called to his son in the faith and he said would you come would you come and hurry quickly see what happens is people of god get get tired sometimes and when we get tired we can get intimidated the enemy preys on our vulnerabilities and and on our weaknesses and we get intimidated and sometimes we can get burned out and and yes sometimes we can get lonely and you might even be here today and that that's just that's that's how you feel and you hear other people's prayer requests and boy somebody's battling cancer over here and 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 some you know somebody's got a major need over here and you almost feel guilty that your issue is is loneliness but it's a real need and it was a need that that drove uh, elijah to saying god just kill me now the mighty prophet of god became suicidal And it was a need that caused the Apostle Paul 
in his final letter to reach out and say, please come to me quickly. I mean, everybody's gone and they're doing the work of the ministry. I'm stuck here in this prison and, and I had Demas with me, but Demas has forsaken me. I need a companion. And I want to tell you that God has given us that same privilege today. You don't have to be alone. You don't have to be lonely. God has called us to be the family of God. He's called us to come together. Here's what the Bible says. Psalm chapter 68, verse 5. We're going to look at this verse. Psalm 68, verse 5 and 6. Communicates the heart of God. He says this. He says, a father to the fatherless, a defender of widows, is God in his holy dwelling. Look at verse 6. It says, God sets the lonely in families. That's what God wants to do. That's why being a part of the church is so important. And when I say being a part of the church, I hope you understand. I'm not talking about being a part of the Sunday morning worship experience. Because if this is all you have, if this is all you get, come on, let's be honest, that's not enough. That's not, that's not fulfilling your needs. I mean, it's nice to get out and rub shoulders with folks, but it's not going to be the antidote to a lonely heart. But when we open up our lives and we do life together, when we share with one another, when we encourage one another, when we build one another up in our most holy faith, as the Word of God says we should do, then all of a sudden it becomes an antiseptic to the emotional emptiness that we feel. God wants to heal lonely hearts and so he's put us in a family the bible says god sets the lonely in families loneliness is a a bad experience and it's not something that god ever intended for humanity to stay in that's why in genesis when all was good and there was no sin yet eve had not been tempted by the serpent adam still knew nothing about the tree Everything was perfect. God called it good. And yet on that first day after making man, he said it's not good that man should be alone. And he wasn't just talking about marriage, though that's the specific application for Adam and Eve. He was talking about companionship. He was saying whether you're a single young adult or a single senior adult or a widowed uh, individual, he was saying loneliness is not God's plan. It's not good for man to be alone. And so the word says he's a father to the fatherless. That he defends the widow and that he sets the lonely in families. God wants you to have companionship. And that's why he's put us in the church. That's why he's put us in a family. The Bible says this about the church in Acts chapter 2. It was the day of Pentecost. God had just sent the Holy Spirit to, to breathe power into the church, to really to kickstart the church on that day. And the Bible says after they came out of the upper room, Peter preached on the day of Pentecost and some 3,000 people got saved. But then at the end of chapter 2, we get a, a testimony, a snapshot of, of what it looked like to be a member of First Assembly of God Jerusalem. That's not really the name of the church, by the way. Boy, tough crowd this morning. He said, in in a statement, in a paragraph, here's what it said about the church. Acts chapter 2, verse 44. All the believers were together. And everyone had everything in common. There there was a, a community aspect to what God was doing. 
He was not just pouring his spirit out and people were uh, using the gifts and speaking in tongues and prophesying and all those things were happening. People were being saved. But at the same time, there was community that was going on. How many of you understand that if we come together once a week and we lift our hands and we worship and, and God sends his spirit and we speak in tongues and we prophesy and we preach and people get saved and that's all we do, we are not a biblical model of the church. The church is to be more than just a weekend gathering. And maybe for you, you're like me. I'm at a stage in life where I got plenty of interaction. Trust me. I got three little girls. Our home is never quiet. You know, we got lots going on in our family. And so you might be content to just come and just do church on the weekend and then leave. And I, I, don't, I don't need any more interaction. I don't, I don't need the body of Christ. I got a house full, okay? But God has called me and he's called you to minister to one another. And so we have to live out our faith with our eyes up, looking to our right and to our left and seeing the needs in the body of Christ. Because there's somebody that may be very near to you that has an emotional need, just as Paul did. It says, I'm lonely. Paul was lonely. May it never be said of this church. May that never be said that people can come and be a part of this church and attend here week after week. And yet they just go, I'm just lonely. I just don't feel like anybody sees me. I don't feel like anybody knows me. May it never be said of this church. But may we be a church that is full of the love of God. A place where people come in and they go, man, you know what? I've only been here twice, but I just feel like I'm a part of it. I feel like I'm home. Doesn't it feel good to be home? You know, I mean, I love vacation, but you know what I'm talking about, right? When you get home and you can just put the bags down, you can just relax. And you're like, ah, it just, it just feels good to be home. That's what it ought to feel like when we come into God's house. Regardless of what your week's been like, you can come in here. It's not a time to tighten up the the, the tie and the collar and put on a, a plastic smile. No, it, it's a time that we can, we can just be home. We can be at home with God's family, with God's people. Paul had an emotional need in his life. He was lonely. He was also hurt. He was hurt because Demas had forsaken him. Demas was his, uh, was his partner in ministry. And the thing that hurt him worse, uh, the most about Demas forsaking him is why he forsook him. It says that he has forsaken me because he loved this world. So he didn't just turn his back on Paul. He turned his back on Jesus. He walked away from the faith. And Paul was hurt because of it. Some of you may be feeling that way. You've got loved ones that have abandoned you or or people that you may have even looked up to or people that you worked in the ministry with and, and they've turned their back on you. They've even turned their back on God. This was the needs that Paul was feeling. But he tells us in another book how the church ought to act. Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1 through 3. He says, this is is how the church should be acting. He said, as a prisoner of the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling that you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Can I just tell you, I don't think Paul would have said, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace if he didn't know that sometimes it was going to take a lot of effort 
to keep the unity of the Spirit in the church through the bond of peace. You know, the Bible says in, in Psalms that, that where the uh, brethren dwell together in unity, God commands his blessing there. And, and if God's going to bless something that where there's unity, how many of you understand that the enemy wants to cause disunity? He wants to bring contention. He wants to bring strife. Not because he just wants to give you a bad day or because he wants to see the attendance in a local assembly drop. He wants to bring strife because he wants to remove the blessing of God off of him, off our lives. And so that's why Paul says, make every effort. You're going to have to work at this sometimes. Make every effort to keep unity through the Spirit. Let me tell you about a second need that Paul experienced that Some of you might be experiencing. It was a physical need. Look at verse 13. Just the first part. He said, When you come, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas. Now I was praying about this this week. I was meditating on this verse. And and God, God gave me some revelation. How many of you want to know the revelation that God gave me out of this verse? I believe what he's trying to say is, I'm cold. That's it. I'm cold. Tough crowd this morning. (laughs) Paul was human. He was cold. He was alone. And he said, hey, if you're coming, bring my coat. That's what I need. I need a coat. Okay? Bring my coat. And Paul is communicating to us that... He has a practical need. He needed comfort in his body. And that's why later he said, make sure you get here before winter. I don't need the coat next spring. I need the coat now. Okay, Timothy, hurry up, get here. But let me say this as a spiritual application. It's hard to be our spiritual best when we are not at our physical best. Let me say it this way. It's hard to do good spiritual work when we're not physically well and that was paul's reality i mean most of the letters that he wrote he wrote in prison so it was time well spent i mean we we have these incredible letters because of his hardships and who knows what blessing your children will have because the hardships you're facing today but the reality was he was cold and and i just want to say this to you and this is gonna feel very pastoral but just grit your teeth you need to hear it Some of you are not able to do your best spiritual work because you're not physically well. Now, if you're sick and you can't do anything about it, that's that's one thing. But a lot of us are just not taking care of ourselves. And I want to give you a verse of scripture that is really going to step on your toes. So you might want to back them under the pew. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19 and 20 says this. Do you not know that your bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God. You are not your own. Listen to verse 20. You were bought with a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. So here it is. If you're not taking care of your body, you're dishonoring God. Because the Bible says, since you are the temple of the Holy Spirit, we honor God with our bodies. And because we choose to dishonor God with our bodies, we're not able to do the spiritual work that he's called us to do. 
Now, some of you might be going, hey, wait a minute, I can do everything I, I could do 30 pounds ago. Well, the question is, are you going to be able to do it for as long as he intends you to do it? You see, there's a reason that we should honor God with our body, because as far as I can tell, all the ministry that we do happens in a body. And so for us to be uh, useful and profitable for the thing that God's called us to do, we need to be in a good physical condition to be able to do it. And so if you're here today and, and, and you're, just, you're just not taking care of yourself, it, it's an issue of honor. It really is. And, and hear me today. The most spiritual thing that you could do sometimes is to take care of your body. Sometimes the most spiritual thing you can do is take a nap. Somebody say amen to that. Take a walk. Push back from the table. Put the fork down. I'm going to leave this alone before I lose all of you. But here's the good news, because you might be here and you say, yeah, but it's not something I can do something about. And I have physical needs today. Maybe you're sick in your body. Maybe you have some kind of a disease. Well, here's the good news for you. We serve a God who wants to meet our physical needs, not just our emotional needs. God wants to touch you in your physical body. He wants to heal you. The Bible says this in Psalm 103, verse 2. It says, praise the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all of his benefits. And then he tells us what some of the benefits are. It says, who forgives all of our sins and who heals all of our diseases. Did you know that's a benefit today of our salvation? When you come to Jesus to forgive you of your sins, he doesn't just cleanse away the sin in your heart. The Bible says his desire is to heal your physical body. He wants to heal you. The Bible says this in Psalm 107. He sent his word and healed them. God is sending his word to us today. He wants to heal you. The Bible says in James 5, and and we saw this demonstrated earlier. The Bible says, is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And here's what it says will happen. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. God gives us the opportunity to come together and pray a prayer of faith so that he can heal our physical needs. God wants to meet your needs today. There's a third need that Paul had here. Look at it with me in verse 13b after he says to Timothy, when you come bring the cloak that I left with Carpus and Troas, he then says this, and my scrolls, especially the parchments, this is a material need. Here's Paul in prison. And he says, bring, bring my scrolls. That was probably his, his writing materials. And, and the parchments were probably his copy of the scriptures. He had the Old Testament. And, and so he's saying, bring those things. I, I need those things. I need the word of God. And I need a writing utensil. I mean, think about this. Paul is in, incarcerated. And his priority list is this. I need a coat because I'm cold. And it's hard to write when I'm really cold. And I need the scrolls and I need the parchment. Here's the priority list of the Apostle Paul. I need the word of God and I need to be able to write down what he tells me. I don't know if that convicts anybody besides me today. But think about those priorities. I told the guys yesterday at our prayer breakfast, that, or at our men's breakfast, that statistics say that you're going to forget in 16 weeks, you'll forget 92% of everything that you heard in church today. 
So that, that ought to reprioritize our lives. Some of you are in need of parchment today. You need to be writing this down. You need to write down what the Lord's telling you because you know you're going to forget most of it in a matter of a few days. Paul had a practical need, a material need. I want to tell you today, God wants to meet your needs. This is not just some spiritual exercise that the church does on the weekend to, you know, to just kind of build ourselves up and, you know, give us an attaboy and it's going to be okay. And then it has no practical uh, fleshing out in our lives. No, there's absolutely a practical aspect to this thing called faith. God doesn't want to just save you from your sins, heal you in your body. He wants to meet your physical needs, the material needs that you have. He cares about those things. The Bible says this in 2 Corinthians 9, 8. Love this promise. It says, And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. That's the second time I've given you that verse today. Some of you need to just like make that your verse to memorize this week. God is able. God is able. He can do it in your life. So you might be sitting there going, well, then why, why does he delay? If God is able and God wants to, why does he delay? I'll give you the theological answer. I don't know. Wish I did. Wish I could tell you why God doesn't always do things on my timetable. Wish I could tell you, you know, why, why he doesn't just come through the first time that we pray. I don't really know. But I do know what we're supposed to do in the waiting. I know what... Our responsibility is the Bible tells us that just after Jesus had taught his disciples how to pray. Just a few verses later, he said these words. And by the way, he taught them to pray, saying, give us this day our daily bread. Ask God, as he was saying, ask God every day to meet your need. But then right after he taught them how to pray that prayer, he said these words. He said, I tell you this, do not worry about your life what you will eat, what you will drink. Don't worry about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and your body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And then he says in verse 33 of Matthew 6, he says, but seek First, the kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. You don't have to worry. Trust God to meet your needs. And as we pray and we wait, we hold on to his promises, knowing that God shall supply every need according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Quickly, let me, just, let me just tell you about one more need that was real in the Apostle Paul's life. And we see it, bear witness in this text. And I believe it's real in some of your lives as well. Look at verse 14 with me. He said this. He said, Alexander, the metal worker, did me a great deal of harm. The Lord will repay him for what he has done. This is a moral need. This, this is a moral need in, in Paul's life. There's this guy, Alexander, who, who caused a lot of trouble in, in Paul's life. And 
Maybe you've dealt with people like this before. And the temptation is to want to just fix it yourself. The temptation is to want to get even, to get retribution, to get revenge. The temptation for us when somebody gives us a hard time and maybe it just doesn't seem to go away and maybe you've even prayed about it and it's just gotten worse, you start to want to take matters into your own hands. I'm tempted to say that that's like, that's the human nature of us men, but it probably reaches the women too. We just, we want to pull things uh, out of the realm of trusting God and we want to just deal with it. We want to fix it and we want to, you know, make it work out somehow. But Paul's need was for God's control in his life. Paul was saying, I got, I got people that are coming against me. I got people that are, that are attacking me. They're, they're, they're saying things about me. And, and here's, here's the moral need. I, I need God to take control. If, if God's not in control, then we're going to try to get revenge ourselves. We're going to try uh, to even the odds and, and make it make it right on our own. If God's not in control and we're not trusting God, then we're going to start working for a solution. But, but that was not what Paul was doing. Instead, Paul said, you know, God's going to take care of him. He said, this guy did a great deal of harm, but the Lord will repay him for what he has done. In other words, Paul was saying, God's in control. I'm not going to lose sleep over this uh, guy, Alexander. God is in control. And some of you, you've been losing sleep over something. And it's not even about them. It's about you trusting God. You're so fixated on the issue or the problem or the boss or the employee or the relationship. And, and you're losing sleep over something. And you, that's not even where the issue lies. Because people are people are people. And you're always going to have issues. But the question is, the need is to be able to trust God. And to be able to say, God, you have control in this situation. If you've ever been falsely accused before or slandered by someone, <laughs> you know what that temptation to retaliate feels like. It's real. Boy, it rises up on the inside of you. I've felt it before. And everything in me wants to just retaliate and vindicate myself and, and tell them why I'm right and they're wrong and get retribution. But what I would be doing in that moment, what you would be doing is saying, it's up to me. It's up to me. And the Bible says we do the very opposite. Here's what the word says in 1 Peter. To this you were called. Because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. Here's the example he set. He committed no sin. And no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. Here's what Jesus did when he was attacked. He entrusted himself to him who judges justly. So earlier when I said taking care of your body is a matter of honoring God... Let me tell you, retaliating and seeking vengeance and, uh, and, and retribution yourself is an issue of a lack of faith in God. What you're really saying is, I don't believe God judges justly. I don't think God is going to weigh the scales here and, and see my righteousness and their wrongness and he's going to be favorable to me. So I'm going to have to work this out myself. I'm going to have to do something to manipulate the situation in my favor. It's a lack of faith in God. 
and Jesus, our ultimate example. The Bible says he trusted that God judges justly. Can I just tell you that God is just today? Can I remind you that he's fighting for you? The Bible says this. The Bible says, if God is for me, who can be against me? In other words, it doesn't matter who's against me if God is for me. Because God is judging justly. And some of you need to be reminded of that because you've been under a, a weight of anxiety. And like, like Paul, he had this guy Alexander breathing down his neck and now he's locked in prison and he can't defend himself. He says, you know what? I'm not even, even going to worry about that because the Lord is going to reward him. And by the way, the Lord's going to reward us too. And Paul knew that. In fact, earlier in the same chapter, he said, my reward's already laid up for me. There's a crown of righteousness that I'm coming towards. So I'm not going to... Be derailed in my faith of trusting in a just God by looking at the injustice of people. I want to encourage you today to set your gaze again. Set your gaze on a trustworthy God, on a good God who is fighting for you and not against you. A God that he said this, he said, you can cast all your cares on me because I care for you. Now, today's been a little bit unique because we gave the altar call before you got the sermon. And rather than me trying to convince you of what God wants to do, this message has been an exclamation point on what God has already said today. That you're no longer a slave to sin. You're a child of God. You're a child of God today. And because you're a child of God, you can reckon upon every promise of His Word. It's for you. If you have an emotional need in your life, God is faithful to meet those needs. If you have a physical need in your life, God is faithful to meet those needs. And even if your need is to take better care of yourself physically, God can give you the discipline and the strength to do what you know you need to do. If you have a moral need in your life, to recognize who the moral, who the authority is, that God is sovereign over the situation. Some of you have been trying to self-diagnose an issue and your issue that you're looking at is not even the issue. You're looking at people or circumstances or problems and the whole reason that God wants to even use that in your life. This is the all things that God works together for the good. Here's the good, that you would step away from what you think is the issue and you would come to the reality that God wants me to trust Him who justly judges. And if you walk away from that crisis with more confidence in the goodness of God to meet your needs, to take care of you, to judge rightly, then he'll turn even that for your good. God wants to meet every need of your life. Emotional needs, physical needs, material needs. He'll take care of those things. He wants to do it. There was a story that that I read about an invasion in Scotland. Uh, there was a, an enemy that was coming against one of their castles. And they had, they had it surrounded and the people couldn't go out. And after some time, they came to the conclusion that they have to be out of food in there by now. And a lot of times that's the way that they would, they would do these strategies of war. They would just kind of starve them out. You know, they wouldn't let them get in or out. And, and so after a while, the message comes, surrender now. But what they didn't know... Is, is that there was a, a subterranean uh, water channel that flowed, flowed under that castle. And they had an unlimited supply of fresh fish. 
And so in response to the message from their enemy, surrender now. What the people did in that Scottish castle is they just strung a long line of fresh fish and they threw it out and hung it over the wall of the castle. And I believe that's what God wants some of you to do to the enemy today. He might have been lying to you for so long that you're starting to even be convinced that your emotional needs are going to take you down. Your material needs are going to take you under. That, that, you, that the enemy is one that you can't get a grip on your, on your needs. But here's the reality. There's a subterranean current called the Word of God. And it's full of great and precious promises that can sustain you and meet your needs. And you just need to throw a line out over the wall today. String out the fish and tell the enemy, look, I got a supply from God that will not run dry. Amen.